Well, a few weeks ago, I preached on this topic of warfare, prayer, and today I want us to think about it some more. Because I would love, 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 love for our entire church family to wake up knowing that you're in a war and knowing how to pray in the midst of this war. So turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 10. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Comma, we're not done. As I grew up in the church, they were done. They never kept reading. I want our church family to keep reading and not just keep reading. Do it. Comma, praying. How often? Say it louder. At all times or always. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it how? Boldly, fearlessly, as I ought to speak. Oh, the Apostle Paul makes it absolutely clear, you guys. Number one, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, if you've been forgiven, if you've been ransomed, if you've been redeemed, if you've been given a robe of righteousness, if you're an adopted son or daughter, yes, all of that is glorious. But guess what? Guess what else? You are in a war you did not start, and you cannot win on your own. you got to understand that, you guys. You're in a war that you didn't start. It's been raging as long as there have been people and an enemy called Satan and a good God. This war has been raging. You can read about it in Revelation 12. You didn't start it, and you will not win it. So here's what you need to understand. All those wonderful words about peace. Yes, Romans 5. When you put your trust in Christ, one of the most precious things we have in the Bible is that you now have what with God? Yeah. But guess what? He says you have peace with God. And now you have a target on your chest. Satan hates humanity. I hope you realize that. He hates humanity. He's trying to destroy humanity. But when you come to faith in Christ, it just went up a level. Peace with God, but war with the spiritual forces of darkness. Now, here's what I want you to get a hold of that I wish more people understood about their Bibles. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 that precedes this passage in chapter 5. Paul has just instructed us about all kinds of human relationships, right? We need God's help to know how can we function 
How's this supposed to work? He's just instructed us about husband and wife relationships in marriage. Parent-child relationships in the home. Workplace relationships out in the marketplace. That all have the potential to go sideways in a hurry. Have you, have you discovered that? Is it just my marriage? Do you find yourself thinking, how did we get here? What is wrong with her? What is wrong with him? Oh, my word. We both met at Bible college. We both, we did the personality test. She's a seven. I'm a seven. Oh, what could go wrong? All kinds of things could go wrong. How in the world did we get to this place with this level of conflict? Have you ever had that kind of thought? Parent, child. You thought, I'm a good dad. I love you. You love me. What happened? Marketplace. Oh, my word. The level of confusion, backbiting, deception, lies, hate, anger, drama. Yes, we are all sinners, and we bring that to the table. But what I want you to understand, we could not create this much chaos on our own. Do you realize that? There's something else at play in the mix of all our human relationships. And so that's why, listen to me, that's why Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 10 doesn't stick the landing. I've talked to you about marriage. Husbands, just do it. Love her. Wives, respect him. Yeah, go do it. Children, obey your parents. Get with it. Dads, don't provoke them to wrath. And then bosses, treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And workers, be reverent. And work as unto the Lord, not just for them. He tells us what to do. Why doesn't he just end it and say, sincerely, your friend, Paul. Go. Go. I told you what to do. I'll tell you why he doesn't end it. Because he wants you to understand, as you start to try to love her, and you start to try to respect him, and you start to try to not be provoking towards your kids, and kids as you, and bosses, and workers, there's something else that is going to wreak Havoc on the, and if you don't know about it, you're going to be attacking the wrong. Your spouse is not your real enemy. Do you realize that? That child is not your enemy. That mom or dad, young person, is not your enemy. There's something more happening. There's something more. And so that's why he says, finally, and heads into this whole section on spiritual warfare. In other words, he goes from marriage and parenting and workplace relationships that you can see and begins to talk about what you cannot see that is just as real and always in the mix. You realize even those of you that are aware of this to some degree, spiritual warfare, I can be as guilty as anybody. What do we do? We tend to save this thought for just certain times where we say, this feels like spiritual warfare, this situation with our child now. You do realize, yes, it may have intensified and you have a greater awareness of it, but you could wake up every day and say it every day and say it every moment of every day, we're in spiritual warfare because it's true every moment of every day. Now here's what's really you need to get a hold of. Why don't we have an awareness of it more often? Why do we save it for certain times? Our enemy actually doesn't want you to continually think about him. So we don't, we don't have this awareness. We usually think it's her, it's him, it's, and that's what he likes. He's a deceiver, he's a liar. He's the author of what? Confusion. And he came to destroy and kill. And the best way he can pull that off is to have us rarely ever think about him and always go after her and him and that child and that daughter and that coworker and that supervisor. That brother or sister in the Lord that isn't thinking about the same things the same way as I am on politics. He has loved these last two years, you guys, to actually watch Christians. We got the world against us already, you guys. Watch Christians devour each other over vaccinations and political issues and secondary issues. And he rages and laughs and says, perfect, perfect. 
we have a real enemy that is always in the mix. Not just sometimes, always in the mix. So here's what I want you to get a hold of. Paul's not starting a new subject here. Oh, we had marriage and parenting and work. Now let's talk about spiritual warfare, if that ever happens. That's not what he's doing. It's not a new subject. This section is an oh-so-important clarification and teaching moment about everything he's already touched on. So that you'll understand, if you want to do well on a horizontal level with the earthly relationships around you, right? Two great commands from Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second is likened to it. What? What's the number two command? Love your neighbors yourself. Your closest neighbors, your spouse, your roommate, your sibling. Then you push it on out, neighbors on your street, coworkers. And so if you want to be able to obey, love your neighbor. If you want to please God and glorify God in your horizontal relationships, you better be aware of an equally real vertical level of spiritual warfare that is always, not just sometimes, always raging in the midst of all our earthly relationships. This section, in other words, you guys, this section is for every Christian. It's not like Paul had a second thought. It's like, oh, I was about to end, but hey, wait a minute. For those of you that have some interest in spooky things like demons and spiritual warfare, let me give these additional thoughts. No, no, no. This section is for every Christian who wants to finish well and wants to glorify God. If you want to finish well and you want to glorify God, you better be aware of who the real enemy is and how to pray in the midst of this kind of war. Or you'll be attacking the wrong person in the wrong way, using the wrong weapons, and saying, what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? Paul's saying as you try to live this out, as you try to live out the gospel and glorify God in that home and in that marketplace, you better be aware of that there's always more than what you're seeing with the naked eye. And it's that more that starts to overwhelm us when you don't know who the real enemy is and you don't know how to pray. This section was never meant to be an appendix just tagged on the end of his letter with a new subject for certain people that might have an interest in this. So, if that is true, that this is for every believer who wants to finish well and glorify God, how? How and what should you pray about when you know you're in a war and you know the real enemy is not your spouse, is not your child, is not your coworkers, not your supervisor? How and what should you pray? Number two. Number two, warfare prayer recognizes where the real battle begins. Now look at me. This is going to surprise some of you. Warfare prayer recognizes where the real battle begins. Because we're so quick to focus on everybody around us. What is wrong with her? What is wrong with him? What is wrong with this world? Am I the only sane person alive? That's our arrogant, prideful thought. When you understand the war that we're in and you're willing to be informed by the scriptures instead of your first gut thought, guess what? Letter A. Here's what you begin to see and realize. Your flesh and God's spirit are at war with each other. Do you realize the moment you put your trust in Christ, you had peace with God? And it kicked off an incredible, raging, internal war that you never had before. You realize that's what the Bible teaches? That before you come to faith in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a slave to Satan. You were, he was your master and you did whatever your flesh wanted. You may say, no, I didn't. That's what the Bible teaches. And so to some degree, when you become a Christian, you say, life only started to get hard after I came to faith in Christ. 
Yeah. Because now your enemy has ratcheted up regarding you because you're a child of God. He especially wants to take out you, neutralize you, confuse you, cause you to derail and go off and be doing things you shouldn't be doing. But you've got this internal war now that you never had. You just used to do what you wanted. You did what you felt. You went with your flesh. Some of you don't know this, but, but look at what it says in Galatians 5, and it explains so much. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at this in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh. Now look at me. When you put your faith in Christ, was your flesh eradicated, gone? Oh, I wish. What did happen? The chains of slavery were broken so that you do not have to do what you feel and want. It's still glorious, but it doesn't end this. It's like, but your flesh is still alive and it still wants what it wants. Have you ever noticed that? It wants what it wants. And in fact, it still recognizes the voice of our enemy. And when he calls out to your flesh, your flesh wants to respond. They've had a relationship. It seems right. This is what I've always done. This is what I've always wanted. This is, yeah. Yeah. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Could it be more clear what he says next? For these are opposed to each other. Oh, my goodness. You've got two things at opposition inside of you. It'd be like taking a rock badger and a squirrel and throwing them in a burlap bag, tying it, and tossing it on the ground. Watch what happens. It won't just lie there. Chaos. These two creatures hate each other. They try to kill each other. You now have, if you can imagine, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus Christ living in you and this flesh of sin that still wants what it wants. Will there be a war? Oh, yeah. So here's what I want you to get. There's an internal war for every believer long before war ever breaks out with someone around you. You need to recognize this war, which, oh, by the way, notice, what can you do something about? Can you usually control other people? We think we can. If I go after this hard enough and long enough, I can change her. Let me know how that works out. What can you do? Every, every situation you enter and there's conflict with your spouse, with your child, with that coworker, you need to recognize, I brought a heart to that moment. What was I wanting? What was I saying? What was I thinking? What did I say I had to have? What was my agenda? You brought something to the table, and one of the best things you could do is say, oh, God, what's going on in me? Help me to work on me by your grace and spirit. In Romans 7, Paul is driving home the same thing to us when he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh. So Jesus lives in us, but he's saying this flesh, this sinful desire, there's nothing good there. No good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. So when Christ comes into your life, you've got new desires. I want to please him. I want to do what the word says. Have you ever noticed how hard it is? Have you ever noticed how just hearing a sermon that says this is what you ought to do now doesn't fix it? Like I go home and I try to do that. I'm like, ooh, ooh, I get resistance. Yeah, I bet. And then if we're not careful, we tend to say this. I guess this is just who I am. Well, yeah, it is. But it's not who you have to stay You can become someone very different. But here's what I wish Christians understood. It'll be a fight. You'll have to put forth effort. The whole bumper sticker, let go and let God, no. You let go and you will keep going the way you were going. Because that flesh, it will be a fight. Any, Any progress in becoming more like Christ will be as you lean in and say no to the flesh and yes to his ways and cry out for his spirit to help you. Help me, help me. I don't have the power to do this. New desires, but I don't have the ability and I've got this war. You say, Brad, this is all so discouraging. Is there any good news? Yes, there is. Letter B, 
So what are we supposed to do, Brad? Here's what, here's what I wish Christians would understand. The reason the Bible talks about the Spirit all the time, you go to Romans 8. Romans 7 is like, oh my goodness, the good that I want to do, I don't do the very thing I say I won't keep doing, I keep doing, ha! Ah! Keep reading. He's being honest about how real this battle is. Romans 8, he uses the word spirit, I think about 13 to 15 times. But if you, by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. If you continue to go with the mind, your normal mind of the flesh, you're going to keep doing the same things. But if your mind, if you have the mind of the spirit, he gave us the spirit and you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. I find sometimes the Bible people, we're the Bible people. We still believe the Bible, all of it, and teach it. Can be so afraid of excess. We're not that group that wants to bark like a dog and laugh for three months and run up and down the aisles. So we don't want to talk about the Spirit. Things might get, get out of hand. God forbid you guys. I am as excited about the Holy Spirit who lives in me as I am about the Word of God that speaks to me because I need both. His word speaks to me, and then when I try to do it, I can't unless I had a Holy Spirit. And I don't mean just a little helper. I mean resurrection spirit. He says, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Oh my goodness, what is possible? But it will not just happen. A Christian is not like cheese and wine. You don't just get better year after year through time. I love good cheese. I actually love good wine in moderation. But this will not be like, oh, I've been a Christian 10 years. Look at me. Woo, I'm like Jesus over time. No, you could still look a lot like you. And people could say, oh, I didn't even know you were a Christian. It shouldn't surprise people when they find out at work. Oh, you're a Christian. They should have already known. There should have been the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. There should have been some fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. There should have been some humility. There should have been some stuff. But that stuff only happened. Here's what I'd say to you. The fruit of the Spirit is only possible by the Spirit. You don't just decide, I'm going to be more loving, doggone it. I'm going to try hard. These things are of the Spirit. You become all those things as you do what John the Baptist said in John 3, he must increase, but I must, what? Decrease. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. And this is not a spooky thing, you guys. Now, I want to make a distinction. I believe the Bible teaches the moment you put your trust in Christ, you get the Spirit of God. All of him. So it's not like, oh, I need a second blessing and I got to speak in tongues and I didn't really have the Spirit. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I do believe the Bible teaches this. Being filled with the Spirit is not one and done. It's something continually I have to be working on. He lives in me, but being filled with the Spirit is about how much of me is he controlling. That's all filled means. He's not a liquid. It doesn't mean I have 10% of him and I'd like to get 30% more. He's a person. You either have him or you don't. But the phrase filled with the Spirit simply means he's controlling you. So look at verse 18 in Ephesians 6, and you get an insight here. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying at all times. Oh, look at the next phrase. Three words. In the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means don't just pray what you think and you want. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. And so here's what I mean. Christians say, oh man, prayer doesn't work. It's because we're always asking for stuff like that's all about us, that promotes our agenda. We would love for the spirit to help us go to war against that person. And then you wonder why he's not helping you. He has a different agenda. He would love for you to go to war with you. He would love to expose your heart and realign it with his. That's his first That's why we get so frustrated and say, well, it's not working. It's not working because our first thought is out here is the problem. He's like, start here. Start praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. So let me give you a good spirit-filled prayer. This is bonus. It's not in your outline. Psalm 139, 23, 24. Here's a great spirit-filled prayer that you would never think of on your own. We don't go down this path on our own. You ready? Search. Search. 
Give me the pronoun. Me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and see about my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Guess what? Try that out at home. See if he answers that. He would love to answer that. He's leaning over saying, ask me. Ask me to show you you. (laughs) Ask me to take the blinders off so that you'll see you, so that you'll see your heart, so that you'll see what you're wanting, so that you'll see your agenda that's causing war with people around you. I would love to show you more of you because then I would love to empower you to do something about you. And then we might do something about people around us. But would you please start with you? So here's what's worth noting. Back in Ephesians 5 again. Guess what? Before Paul ever taught on marriage and parenting and workplace relationships, there's a verse 18 in Ephesians 5 for a reason. For a reason, you guys. Do not be drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But be what? Filled. And yes, the verb in the Greek is be ye being filled. You got to work on this all the time. You got to ask for it all the time. You got to lean into it all the time. It's not one and done. Be ye being filled with the Spirit. He's not. So in other words, here's what you need to realize. He knows before he teaches on marriage, husbands love her. I do. Now, love her. I do. Like Christ loved the church and gave himself willing to die. Mm, Maybe not so much. Wives, respect and submit. He knew none of this is possible in your own strength. Do you realize we actually don't have what is necessary for a thriving marriage, but we bring everything to the table to destroy one? Stop wondering, why are marriages blowing up? If this was God's idea, why is it so hard? It was God's idea, but he never thought you could do it in your own strength, with your own resources, with your own perspective. You would need supernatural power to think this radically different. Lay down my life, follow a less than perfect man, not rage at my children, obey my parents, get along in the workplace, right? It's not natural, It's supernatural, and he's not teaching on two different subjects. Let me just thump alcohol for a minute and then talk about the spirit. He's making an analogy. Do you realize? There are other places the Bible teaches don't be drunk. That is not the point right here. He's making an analogy because drunkenness and being filled with the spirit spirit share a huge common characteristic. Do you know what it is? When you're drunk, right? You ever seen anybody drunk? I hope it wasn't you, but I've seen it. Woo! That person doesn't think or feel or act like they normally do because they're being controlled by something other than their normal self. You're like, I've never seen Uncle Harry dance like that. No, he doesn't, only when he's drunk. I didn't know he knew an Irish jig, only when he's drunk. Yeah, right? It's like people are either way more fun or way more mean, but they're not themselves. Look at that. So, oh my goodness, here's the point. Stop saying, I'm just an angry man. I didn't see gentleness growing up. I don't have the gift of mercy. Perfect. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And when he has more of you, gentleness can show up. Self-control can show up. Mercy shows up. You people ought to be saying, don't hear me saying we're perfect, but you, by God's spirit controlling you, can begin to think and feel and act very differently than you would normally do. That's the point. That's the point. You will have to be filled with the spirit. With the spirit. With the Spirit. In fact, the Bible hits this head on in James chapter 4. You realize in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, he is actually teaching us, letter C, there's a war inside of you before war breaks out around you with anyone around you. 
James 4, 1 to 3, look at what it says. Where do wars? He's not talking about one nation going against another nation. He's writing Christians. And he's saying, oh my goodness, let me help you. Let me help you if you're wondering why in the world is there so much conflict? He uses the word word war three times, which I mean, seems a little over the top, doesn't it? Unless you've lived life for a while. Unless you lived with me through 2020, 2021. You're like, oh my word, what in the world is going on? Here's what's going on. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Your members means your own body. He's saying, you've got desires that are raging inside of you. You've got an agenda. I want every Christian to think this about vaccination. Every Christian should think this about political. Every Christian should think this about school choice and economics. And you've got desires and agendas that are raging. That word desire is the Greek word epithumia. Thumos is desire. Whenever they put the prefix epi in front of it, it just intensifies it. So that epithumia is any desire that's strong enough that it motivates behavior. This now drives me. I want this so much. I believe this so much. And that's been some of the problem we've experienced. Because you think it and you believe it, you can't imagine how another believer wouldn't. Well, imagine it. God never intended for all of us to think exactly alike on secondary issues. No. So that we would put on display before a lost and dark world, how in the world do they pull this off? How can there be people with different political views, different school choice, different this, different that? Oh, here's how. Jesus and the gospel means more to us. That's our first priority. So that we can love someone that thinks differently than us. Your desires for pleasure that war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have. Because you do not, here we go. He's going to touch on prayer. You don't have because you don't ask. So sometimes you're just not praying. You're just trying to get it done in your own. But then even when you pray, you say, well, it doesn't work. Oh, he says, you ask and do not receive, NIV, because you ask with wrong motive. My motive is change her. Stop them. Take them out. You ask with wrong motives. You ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Here's what I would say to you about prayer. When what you want is off, what you're asking for will not happen. I'm talking about right here is off. You've got a personal agenda. You've got something other than the glory of God that's driving you. And please stop. If I hear one more Christian take their cause and attach it, say, well, this is a gospel issue, Pastor Brad. This is, that's a favorite thing to say now. When everything becomes a gospel issue, the gospel becomes nothing and is diminished. The gospel is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that he took on flesh, kept the law, satisfied God, endured his wrath to set us free. That's the gospel. Leave it alone and proclaim it. Proclaim it and stop attaching all your favorite causes to it so that you can make too much of a secondary issue. Keep the gospel, the gospel. He's called us to pray. He's called us to proclaim the gospel, not our view about other things, and to lift high the cross. You think even about alcohol. Sometimes you'll hear someone say, well, he's... He or she's got some liquid courage right now. Yeah, you'll see people be more courageous and more outspoken when alcohol is controlling them. Read your Bible and see if you can find any place where being filled with the Spirit causes anyone to be bold about anything other than Jesus and the gospel. I've got Christians saying, well, it's time to be bold. Agree. Problem, what comes out of their mouth next is not what we're supposed to be bold about. It's a great time to talk about Jesus boldly and the gospel boldly. The gospel, the Holy Spirit loves to empower us and make us bold for the gospel. If your mouth is running about something else, please don't say that's the Holy Spirit. That's you. That's you. That's you. The Spirit loves 
to make much of Jesus. When the Spirit gets a hold of you, you start making much of Jesus. It just starts coming out of your mouth. You just see opportunities like, oh, now's the time to talk about Jesus. When the Spirit has you and you're filled with the Spirit, you will talk about Jesus. Jesus. David Pallison said it well when he said, cravings underlie conflicts. There's something we're wanting. There's something we're really wanting. And it leads to conflict. Conflict. But let me help you with another key warfare prayer mindset. Number three, warfare prayer recognizes who's really in control. Warfare prayer. So yes, I want you to be aware of principalities and powers and forces of darkness. Yes, we just read that. But you won't find in the Bible, in the New Testament or anywhere else, Christians making much of and having their focus on Satan and demons and dark forces and trying to name demons. Who's the demon of Kenton County and what's the demon of Boone County? We gotta call him by name. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Well-meaning Christians have written entire books about it, but it is all conjecture and speculation. Get your marching orders from the Bible. Don't start making your focus Satan and demons. Be aware of it. But you keep your focus on Almighty God. And you say, fill me with your spirit and use me. You see, I want to touch on two aspects of what it means when you recognize who's really in control. The first is this. Well, I want to I touch on general persecution against us as Christians. And then personal pain and suffering. Persecution and personal pain and suffering. Look at the first, letter A. Warfare prayer sees God in the midst of it. Still in control, still at work. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna turn you there, but take some time. Take some time to read Acts. Acts chapter four, verse 23 to 21. You see in that passage that the Christians were being persecuted and saying, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Do not name this name. Who gave you this authority? Stop, stop, stop. And they were persecuted. And yet, when they were released from the magistrates that were telling them this, they went back to the church and they prayed Psalm 2. They knew their Bibles. And they prayed Psalm 2. You can see it in Acts 4 that they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and try to bring down the Son of God, the King and, and, and they were confident God is sovereign. They name all these names, Pilate and all the people that were a part of crucifying Jesus, but they recognize God is sovereign. He's in control now, not these civil authorities, not these magistrates. Ultimately, God is sovereign. And you'll see towards the end of the chapter, it says, and when they prayed, the place was shaken. Oh, watch this. And they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the name of Jesus. How? Boldly. Here's what breaks my heart today, you guys. You look at the early church. Their first response to persecution was always prayer. I'm watching believers, especially in America, the first response is protest. Protest. Scream, rage, hate, and take legal action. Just like the world. Do not hear me saying there's never a place for legal action. Do hear me saying it should never be our first response. As if we have no other recourse or resource. The world has nothing else but anger, rage, shame, hate, legal action to get it done. And I'm watching Christians jump in and want to use the same weapons. God never promised this world would be changed by clever legal action, piles of money, or hate, it will be changed one person at a time as we proclaim the gospel and as we lift up the cross of Christ and as we lay down our lives. You realize in other countries with more persecution, people come to faith in Christ as they see Christians persecuted. Not as they see Christians use clever legal action and say, wow, that was cool. I want to be a part of that group. When they beheaded Christians on the beach some years ago, Muslims, do you know what it did? It caused 
Muslims to come to Jesus Christ in droves. They saw revival because they said, what do you have that you would be willing to do that and your families don't rage, your families don't hate, your families forgive? Don't hear me saying I pray every day, hey, bring some more persecution. But I do want you to understand, even if it gets worse, it very might be that this will bring revival in America that so many Christians have been praying for. Sometimes the things that start happening are actually the answers to our prayer. And then we say, what? Their first thought was prayer, not protest. Prayer, prayer, prayer. But letter B, I want you to notice this also. Warfare prayer worships God in the midst of pain and suffering. Oh, some of you know, you know, if you've been here long enough, some of all the seasons of suffering and trials we've been through with my ear condition and a speech thing. And then at the same time, that was eight years that laid me so low, I struggled to even get out of bed and do the next thing. I fought depression and despair And then on top of that, all of a sudden we were launched into a season of prodigal kids and parenting trials that erupted. I mean erupted in our home. It was a war that rocked us while this was still going on. And so, yes, there have been times that I've been tempted to think, who is actually in charge and in control of my life? I don't think that's just me. Have you ever wondered, who's really in charge? control who's really at the helm i pray for all the requests at all three campuses and my heart goes out to you some of you are facing horrific marriage situations parenting situations health situations conflict situations financial situations job situations and you feel like you've been under heavy artillery fire for so long now and you don't see an end to it If that's you, then I want you to know that's why God gave us the book of Job. To remind us. Now see, Job doesn't give us what we actually want. What do we really want when all this is happening? An explanation. Job is one of the longest books in the Bible. You realize that? 42 chapters long. And it's just messy and it's wandering Because it conveys the confusion and the deep hurt of when you are going through something horrific that makes no sense to you. If that's you, the book of Job is there for us. And Job doesn't get an explanation, but he does get a greater revelation of who God is in the midst of it. Because when you read the book of Job, those early chapters make it absolutely clear that Satan is accountable to God. That's good news to me. He's not a loose cannon. He's not, he doesn't have free reign to do whatever he wants in the universe and your life. He's accountable to God. You'll see where there was a day where the sons of God, those are angels, were coming before the Lord and says, and, and Satan came. He had to. And God said, what have you been doing? He has to say where he's been and what he's doing. And then you'll see. You'll see how Satan has to get permission before he can afflict any of God's children. He has to get permission. Now, let me just say out loud what you're thinking. It's still troubling why God gives it, right? You're like, why would God give permission? But at least I want you to know it's a comfort to me, and I think it should be a comfort to you, that Satan has to get permission before he can afflict any of God's children. You'll see it in that first chapter where God says, all right. And here's the other kicker. God brings up Job to Satan. Have you considered my, you know, you feel yourself saying, don't mention me. (laughs) Next time he's coming in to give an account of himself, just, no, I'm nobody. Have you considered my servant Brad? Don't consider my servant Brad. Consider someone else. But God, God brings it up. And you guys, here's what's going on. Our enemy is convinced no one would serve God, because he doesn't, unless it's just because life is so easy and God's given you good stuff. 
There are books that teach that. But it's not true. And so God says, Job actually has an opportunity. He doesn't know it. He doesn't get a memo explaining this. To put on display that a Christian, a Christian will persevere and will continue to trust God and worship God, not for what God gives him, but because God is God and for who God is. Oh my goodness, Satan doesn't even think that's possible. And so first God says, all right, all that he has is yours, but don't touch him. And he wipes out all that he has and comes back. And, and Satan says, well, it's just because, you know, you haven't touched his flesh. All right, you can touch his flesh, but you cannot kill him. God is in control. That's why I say everything that comes into your life, if you're a child of God, is father filtered. It came through his hands first. Came through his hands first. This may not be what you want to hear. You wish there was an explanation and you wish it was true. Some of the books that are written that God's agenda is to protect us from everything hard. It's not... It's to make us more like Christ. And it's to put on display to a lost world and our enemy Satan. Oh my goodness, these people actually love God and trust God in the dark when it doesn't even make sense. They don't have to have explanations. They walk by faith, not sight. Because of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do, they live between the already and the not yet, and they live with unanswered questions. They live with gut-wrenching pain. They live with confusion and sorrow and deep, deep grief. And yet hold on to God. Hold on, saying, you are sovereign, you are in control, and I have, just like Peter said, to whom will we go? I have nowhere else to go. And notice, when you read the book of Job, After the first two chapters, Satan's never mentioned again. It's not all about Satan. Job didn't start rebuking a demon of sickness and rebuking a demon of disaster and rebuking a demon of, he cried out to God. Because he knew that God is ultimately behind anything that's happening to him. That's why he said in Job 13, 5, yet though he slay me, I thought about Satan, God, yet Will I trust him? That's why you'll read verse 16, verse 17, verse 18 in chapter 1. And it's like while this one was still speaking, news came that this had happened. While this one was still speaking, news came about this. While th- Have you ever had a season of life where you're like, boom, boom, boom. One thing doesn't even settle down before another one erupts. That was what Job went through. Boom, boom, boom. And it says, Job tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground. All that makes sense to us. But what comes next is not natural. And what? Worshipped. Worshipped. Here's what I want you to get. We are not just warriors. We are worshipers. I want you to be a warrior worshiper. Just a warrior mindset will wear you out. There's times the warrior has to just collapse in the presence of God and worship and be refreshed. And know God is God. He's not just called us to be warriors who should expect constant war. We're worshipers who express continual worship. Yes, expect war, but express continual worship. There's a woman in our church that has put this on display. She's lived through the death of a young child. Imagine that. Death of a toddler. We walked with them and the group walked through. It was so heartbreaking. And now she's living through years of chronic, debilitating, can't even come to church pain. Sometimes she's here, sometimes she's not. Her head hurts so much. And here's what she wrote me, and I have permission. She wrote me after the first warfare prayer message. She says, thank you for such a great message yesterday. I struggled so much with prayer years ago. Since this chronic pain journey, I've learned that I'm in a war. Not just with pain. That's a symptom. 
I didn't realize I battled discontentment, idleness, dissatisfaction with my Savior. I wish people understood how important prayer is. She's a prayer warrior. I was that person who prayed when in trouble or overwhelmed, and it left me unsatisfied. Then I prayed all the time, but selfishly for my desires, and that left me even more unsatisfied. I realized I was trying to use Jesus as my drive through server, taking my orders, and that just didn't end well. Now listen to what she says now. But having cultivated a relationship with Jesus through prayer, you realize prayer, you guys, is not just to get things you want. It's to know him and to be in relationship with him. Having cultivated a relationship with Jesus through prayer now, I've learned to use prayer as a form of worship, communication, relationship, and counsel. I wish I'd known this so earlier in my Christian life, but I'm so thankful for it now. I do still ask the Lord to heal me, but more so now I'm asking him, use me however you choose. And so far, it hasn't been the way I want. But I know the Lord's plans are good, so I've asked him to give me excitement and joy for what he has for me next. Mm, That's not easy, you guys, but it brings you to a wonderful place. Because listen, when you keep resisting, then you've got the internal, internal war, you've got the external war from our enemy, and you to some degree have a struggle with your God. And God isn't gonna give you grace for that much. You say, Lord, this is not what I would choose. This is not how I wanted to serve you. Vicki and I aren't serving in ways that we had scripted. I didn't wanna have a ministry reaching parents who have prodigal kids. But I do now because I've had prodigal kids. I could go on. God chooses how he's gonna use us and chooses the trials and suffering we're gonna go through and is in control, not Satan. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our savior. Thank you for giving us everything we need in our weakness. And oh, make us more aware that we're in a war and cannot win this on our own. And help us to start where we should start, with us. Oh God, what's wrong with me? What's going on inside of me? Where's my heart? What am I wanting? What am I promoting? What am I defending? As we go to war with others, God, help us to step back and say, show me me. And then help us to throw up our hands and worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.